Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He's unpredictable. He's relentless. He's fearless. He's smart. He's a jerk. Oh, man, what a jerk. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? He's talented. He's blunt. He's complicated. He's the fakest tough guy I know. He's honest. A self-proclaimed weenie. He's angry. He's actually a good guy. He's a psycho big-mouth prick. I wish we had more Kirk Minahans. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? Combustible. Unpredictable. Venomous. Chesty. Obnoxious. Selfish. Polarizing. Pompous. Enough about me. Let's get to the show. It's Kirk Minahan's Enough About Me. I guess he might not be the biggest football writer in the country anymore. That might be Schefter, I suppose. But Peter King is right there. And as we know, he was at the center of the Deflategate controversy. And he and I went at it hard on a Labor Day. I actually came into work that day. Peter and I went for 15 minutes back and forth. I gave him so much credit for that. You know, you might not like the guy. You might think he's in the tank for Goodell. He hates the Patriots, whatever. He came in and did what almost every other writer, certainly his level, would never do. And we got to the flake gate, which is, of course, inevitable. But first, I wanted to know, why does he keep doing what he's doing? All right, so I was just talking to Ben, who produces uh, this podcast, produces the show that you go on for, for EI. You said you've got, like, seven appearances today, ten radio appearances or whatever. You're, you do this Monday morning quarterback, this insane, which we get printed out. We talk about every Monday morning in the show. We print it out. It's, like, 70 pages. You're still doing the TV. I, I got to ask, and I know you just re-signed, like, why? At what at what point do you say it's time to put the feet up, time to call the day, time to hang out with the dogs, and just say, you know what, I've done enough, and just take a breath? There's two interesting little things that I would just say about that, Kurt. One is that in order to do something like that at the volume, good or bad, you have to really like it. And, you know, I just wrote something this week about the Rams and Titans trade and, and you know, I talked to John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, the former uh, Belichick acolyte, and um, and then Les Snead, the GM of the Rams. And stories like that are what really get me excited because it's how did this biggest draft trade in recent history happen? Right. Uh, what exactly? The TikTok of it. And so... I don't know. The other night, I, I called Snead on Monday night. He was on his way home from the office. And I said, listen, I just got like three questions for you. It'll just be very quick. And I looked down at my phone at the end of it, and it's 48 minutes. And But it, it just was so, it was so interesting, the whole process right. of a real complicated trade. And so that to make a long story a little bit shorter, uh, you know, that really is what gets me excited. And the one other thing I would say is that I had a very interesting email about, uh, I don't know, maybe three months ago. At the end of this season, I was thinking that I felt like crap at the end of the year. And, you know, it's just not any fun to stay up all night doing something uh, like on Sunday night. So I started to think, I got to finish. These columns got to be shorter. I got to finish it. I don't think anybody reads the whole thing anyway. 
And so, you know, 11,000 words or 9,500 words, depending on what is going on. And I got a very interesting email from Bill Simmons, who I don't, I mean, I used to be in touch with Bill quite a bit, just haven't for whatever reason in recent years. And he wrote me out of the clear blue sky, this email, and he said, you know, I can just tell you that if you write shorter, I think more people would read more of what you do, in essence. And I totally agree with him, and I thanked him for it. And so, I don't know, I kind of think that this year I'm going to, I'm going to still write the column. I'm just going to write it probably a little bit shorter. I mean, there must be times where, you know, it's 2.45 in the morning or 3.15 in the morning and you're, you know, in the middle of you something. You just curse the, you curse the day you were born. And you must just you, say, why am, I, why am I still fucking doing this? I've got uh, all yeah. the money I'll ever want in my life. You know, I, I actually use the F word sometimes at 3.15. You can say the, the F word on this, but it's a podcast. You can, but, you can yeah. let it rip. But, but, no, but, I, but I, you know what? Part of it is, Look, I, I mean, you know, as much as I have become a bit of a punching bag uh, over the years, I also, uh, you know, I sort of view that as kind of the price of doing business at this at this it's level. Like, it's kind of a cost. It's, it's like getting booed on the road in a way, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know. It's I, a compl- so. I think it's a compliment in, in, in like yeah. some, I mean, because uh, listen. You know, I mean, I'll make fun of the haikus sometimes, and the beer, yeah. and the hotels, but I read it every week. Is the week I don't? Yeah. There's never a week I don't read it. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I, I mean, look, the bottom line in this whole thing is this is the t- we're coming up on the 20th year. I started this in 1997, so this will be the 20th NFL season. I've written this column, and you know, I, I just have to uh, try to do something, in my opinion, anyway, that'll make it that'll continue to make people read it in such a crowded landscape. So hopefully if it's shorter and maybe it's not so punchy, you know, the last 2,000 words, maybe it'll be a little better. So we'll see. What have you done so far uh, with MMQB? That, I'm saying the actual website itself, not your column, that you, if you could say two or three things, if you could say, you know what, I screwed that up. If I could do it again, maybe not. Uh, you know what I mean, what have you well, learned? I guess so it's been, has it been two years? Is that right? It's been three years. Three, we're, Jesus, three years just, already. We've just finished our yeah. We've just finished our third year. What have you learned um, from it? What I've learned from it is that it's not uh, being a boss is not all it's cracked up to be, and it's it's a tremendously fun venture. But honestly, I don't have any idea what the future of the media is. We're making a couple of hires this this coming uh, off season, or this off season. And I've told them, I've told the people who, uh, you know, who we're going to hire, uh, and I've told our staff, look, we're, we're going to do some different stuff this year, and I have no idea if it's going to work or it isn't going to work. Uh, we're going to do more video. We're going to do uh, more stuff on social media. We're going to put out these instant reaction 45-second little videos. Is it going to work? Is it going to make a, get us more traffic? Is it going to get more people to pay attention? I, the one thing I just have no idea what to do about is is all these all the aggregators and all the people who sort of take what you do and write so much of it that most people who then read it don't go back and click on your story. There's the famous story of the uh, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette writing uh, the Antoine Randall L story and the Washington Post website, uh, you know, writing such a huge 
aggregation, or mm-hmm. what writing such a huge story on it that people read it there instead right. of clicking back to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. So, I mean, three years ago, did I have any thought that I have to think how to address this? I mean, I, I so those are the kind of things and and traffic and things like that that I've never had to worry about. But as far as mistakes go, I've made a million of them, and uh, both on the site and in what I've written. And all you try to do is you try to stand up and say, I blew it, and hopefully people will give you another chance. But I all, as I've always said after I've made mistakes, some of them involving the Deflategate story, if people don't come back, I totally understand. They expect us to be better than to make big mistakes. I made a couple of big ones, both on this and Ray Rice, and uh, I should pay for them. Well, we've done, we, we did that in September. You and I went at it. We, there's no reason to have that battle all over again but uh the one before we get to some other stuff so like you broke the story last week on on the trade for the first pick what's interesting now in 2016 is you broke that story but it feels like that story was yours for about a second and a half and then it was just everybody else's does that make sense like it was, it was just- true it was it, it happened i'm dead serious you know when i heard about that taxiing on the runway at LaGuardia on the way to wisconsin to see jj watt mm-hmm I figured I had maybe five or six minutes to find out whether indeed it was true because you can't put something like that up and be wrong if you are. Right, right. That's just a big, fat melon sitting out there for people to punch at you for the next 30 years. But so anyway, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that if I'm not mistaken, that the Titans actually put their release up about the trade about 90 seconds after I said that Tennessee I think that's right. the yeah. first pick of the draft to the Rams. And so, but that's just the way the world is. It's, it's, it is the wild West, but it's okay. That's, I mean, information is king and people want to want to have it. But there must've been some, so back in, you know, 87 or whatever, if you're on the Giants beat, I'm guessing there must've been a story that you broke that you had for, a day or two, and now today that seems, impo- two, hey, seems listen, impossible. The, the two greatest ones I remember about that is I was working for Newsday uh, in the 80s, and Lawrence Taylor was going to get suspended on Monday for four weeks for, for drugs, and it was before the first game of the year, and I found out about it about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, and I had it cold. So there was no anything then. There was no, I mean, there was radio, but I believe WFAN was about five days old then. You know, it's just, it was brand, you know, sports talk radio was new. So I was just sitting there praying, hoping that nobody in the next uh, 18 hours, you know, before Newsday hit the sidewalks, uh, you know, in New York on Monday, I was just hoping that nobody would get it and nobody did get it. But the most amazing one was in 1995. When, or 1996, when Brett Favre was about to go into rehab uh, for Vicodin addiction, um, his golf tournament was going to happen starting later that week in Gulfport, Mississippi. And Brett Favre was not a megastar yet. He he just had won his first MVP, but he wasn't Brett Favre in all caps yet. And mm-hmm. so what I'll never forget is uh, he. I mean, he, he called me. And he was calling everybody who was going to the golf tournament. There was like 90 people going to this golf tournament. And he called everyone individually and just said, I hope you'll still come because, uh, you know, we've got 
all these charities, you know, waiting for these donations. And so I hope you come. So anyway, and I said, hey, can I ask you a couple of questions while I'm on the phone? And so I asked him a couple of questions, and there he told me the whole story of how he got hooked on Viking and everything. So that was that was on a Wednesday, and there were no outlets of any kind. Website, our website didn't exist yet, nothing. And so for eight days, I held that interview before people got it in their mailboxes the following Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, the, the thought of that now is just totally, totally ridiculous. We. How many years were you at Newsday? What were your years there? 85 to 89. What was your relationship like with Belichick? I know what it's like with Parcells. I've heard you talk about that. What was your relationship? I, lo- I, I had a great relationship with Belichick. He was not a uh, – he was he was exactly the same way he is now. And he was – the thing about Bill that I think people kind of misunderstand, he just, he's a quiet, really, really smart guy. I mean, he's just not made for this spotlight, you know? I mean, he's not made for... He would have been great in the 40s and 50s when there was hardly any media. But you know what? Paul Brown was a lot like Bill Belichick. My first training camp ever that I covered the NFL was 1984, covering the Bengals. And Paul Brown was the owner of the Bengals. And in those days, I'm talking every day was a two-a-day practice. 9 to 11 in the morning, 3 to 5 in the afternoon. And Paul Brown just stood out there baking in the Wilmington, Ohio sun. And I stood with him almost every day as he sort of taught me football. And I would say, why are you doing this, blah, blah, blah. And one day I made the mistake. I said to him, how do you do this every day? I mean, I'm dying out here. You You know, it's 90 degrees. It's humid. This was when people didn't really understand that doing that twice a day was not such a great idea for mm-hmm. athletes. But but Paul Brown was incensed. It was the only time I ever really saw him get mad. Uh, he said, young man, this is our lifeblood. And he was like huffed and puffed and he was very upset. He, How can anybody not love this? And it's just, I mean, it's so, I think it's so apt that Belichick uh, really idolizes Paul Brown because he should. They're so incredibly similar. Quiet guys, way ahead of their time, smartest guy in the room, uh, immensely criticized in their own era, uh, you know, by, in my opinion, a lot of people who are jealous of. What's your relationship like with Belichick today? I haven't talked to him since 2007. I haven't talked to him since the... uh, since Spygate happened, and uh, what is what is I does guess, he does he perceive that you did something or? Think yeah, you- I think he perceives that I jumped on him too hard, uh, and that I was, you know, there was one day on EEI, and I and I I'm, I don't I've never asked anybody what it was over. He just stopped talking to me, but there was one day on EEI where I got into it a little bit with Michael Holly about, uh, you know, him him, uh, you know, about the whole. The, the relative seriousness of the crime. And, uh, and, and again, I don't even know what I said, but I'm, you know, I said adamantly, look, it's, you know, the Patriots were warned about this and they kept doing it. I, I don't know what, what's so difficult. They, they should get penalized for it and, and all that. But I mean, look, I, 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 I don't anticipate, I have no idea if I'll ever talk to them again. Have you but, tried? I mean, have you made attempts? Yeah, I've tried a couple of times, not not seriously or anything like that. But 
and I'll probably make an effort or two, uh, you know, at some point in the next few years. But, you know, it's one of those things, too, Kirk, honestly, that it's it's not the end of the world. It's, you know, I can still write what I want and, you know, as much or as little as I want. It's funny, the people who, they they people kind of look at your birth certificate. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. And they believe then that uh, that if you're born in Springfield, Massachusetts, then you love all things New England. When I grew up, I grew up in Enfield, Connecticut. When I grew up uh, in the '60s and early '70s, you know, before going off to college, uh, the the Patriots were like nothing. They they you know the big team in Northern Connecticut, big team in Northern Connecticut was the Giants. Giants, sure, yeah. And so at that time. You know, I was a big Celtics fan, I was a Giants fan, uh, and I was a Red Sox fan. And we weren't a very big hockey family until the Whalers came to Connecticut, and we got into into that. But uh, And so everybody, it, it's, everybody is going to say that, okay, you're born in New England, you're a New England guy, and, uh, you know, there's nothing really you can do about that. You're, you know, if I write... A lot about, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago after Manning retired, I, re- I had Brady talking about Manning, uh, you know, on the day that, mm-hmm. uh, the day after he gets, you know, he hears that Manning is retiring. And it was a pretty good get. And all I got in my comments that day was, oh, of course, Manning retires, so you go back and talk to Brady. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it's, he's Magic Johnson to Larry Bird, or vice versa, so... Why wouldn't you want to talk to Brady? But it, that's that's probably unavoidable. Uh, it's been a few months now. I went at it a little bit uh, with Klemko. He wouldn't come on, which is okay. That's his right. He wouldn't come on with uh, with me, John, and Jerry. He wouldn't come on here. You do, which I give you credit for all the time. We always do in the show. You know, we disagree. You'll come on. You'll fight it out, which I like. I read the Klem- Klemko piece three or four times, and it still doesn't seem right to me. It does have the whiff of uh, some victim blaming. Well, is that, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that a that's fair? Certainly the, that, well, that's certainly the way that the trainer feels about the story, I'm sure. Well, let me ask this. Let me, before, uh, let, why, let yeah. me ask you. So you, so you did a long, uh, you, you did a long, did a good job responding to it on Monday morning quarterback the week after, right? Or did you have, I forget, did you, 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 you addressed it, right? Clemco didn't, right? Yeah, well, we both, we both addressed it. We both addressed it. But, but I think, look, here's, here's what happened at the beginning of this story. Okay, I told Klemko, um, who is really an intrepid reporter, and and I told him, listen, I just want you to go and find the people who were there that day. I want you to do everything that you can to find everybody who you can uh, and talk to the people who were there that day. So he's actually one one night he calls me after standing on the porch with one of the guys who was in the who was in the trainer's room that day, it was the cross country runner, mm-hmm. and and so Klemko talked to him at great length uh, on the porch that day, that night, but the guy wouldn't talk. You know, he lived in in Mississippi, and he, he you know his whole point, I guess, was that I this can't help me move on with my life, so I'm just not going to say anything about it, and so that was okay, and so. I fully, totally, absolutely, I got 
everybody's anger and venom when conveniently Peyton Manning's former roommate comes out of the woodwork after not talking for 19 years about this and we find him. I, I understand it. I was saying, how did this happen? How? So, you know, Ari Fleischer, who was Manning's uh, PR guy, and this guy, basically, we had a decision to make. You know, do we say that uh, this guy, point out who he is mm-hmm. and how it's kind of a mystery that he hasn't surfaced at this point, but here he is, and here's what he said happened, and here's his story. And we had a decision to make. I knew the moment that they pressed the button and put this story out that we would get that we would get absolutely positively vilified for this story. And there was just I mean, we we, we both we all said, Are we gonna do it or are we gonna swallow this and just let this story go? And we decided that we were gonna do it. Yeah, the problem totally is under, the, totally understand the, the problem is the, it, you know, the criticism. It just seems like it's told from a Manning point of view. You know, obviously there was cooperation from Archie and Fleischer in Peyton and not right. I don't think he. I don't think he ever talked to Archie. If I'm not, if I think I'm he not did. Mistaken. I think he said he was at Archie's house. That's where the messages were played for him. Right, those phone messages. Uh, I'd have to look back at the story. I don't think he talked to Archie. He might have. I can't. I can't. I, I don't know. I just don't remember now. But um, uh, you know, he did hear the messages. And look, I think. I think one of the things that has gotten a little bit overlooked is the fact that is the fact that uh, this this woman um, who made these charges uh, has just had a slew of people who have come out who've come out over the last few years and who basically said like the newspaper in Knoxville mm-hmm. uh, who basically impugned her character uh, and you know so we. I mean, honestly, we kept most of that out of this story. We we put some in it, but we kept most of it out of the story. And so it's an ugly story. I don't know what happened. I feel like there's enough doubt on both sides that something happened that may have been more serious than is generally perceived, but... The one point I would say, Kirk, in all this is yeah. that there was an investigator for the university, a woman, who uh, you know ne- no longer works at the University of Tennessee, but she was as adamant as she could be that she did not see any crime that was sexual in nature, and she basically cleared Peyton Manning. And so I think there are some of these things that uh, have have gotten a little bit short shrift, but I get it. This is a very controversial thing, and it also definitely has the has the whiff of Manning protectionism. I I get it, but all we tried to do in that case right there is present the facts, and uh, you know we we think we did it right. We were very careful, but not everybody is going to agree that we did it right. You know, I asked this guy, I've had Ryan on here, I've had Shaughnessy on here, uh, Jackie McMullen was here a couple of weeks ago, I think that's all the Globies I've had on, and each time I have him on, I ask him a question, do you think in your lifetime there'll be a time they stop physically printing the Boston Globe? And each of them said yes. So I've asked you, do you think there's going to be a time in our life where they're not 
printing physically Sports Illustrated anymore. Yeah, I think so. I keep wondering about the papers, the newspapers that are in massive financial trouble and how much longer will we hold them in our hands. And you see major metropolitan papers, the New Orleans Times-Picayune, they don't print a paper every day anymore. So that's what, I don't know what's going to happen in the next three, five, seven, eight years. But I could see a time 15 years from now where they don't print Sports Illustrated, where it exists, but it only exists in your hand on a tablet. You know, the thing about Sports Illustrated that is different is still even, and I subscribe to it, you'll get a story that you may not have seen, you'll have in your hands, and it's still sometimes six, eight pages long that's not necessarily time-sensitive. That is what SI has to be right now. They've got to be different. Um, I remember last year, one of the stories I really, really loved was a story that Greg Bedard wrote about uh, the Houston the Texans. Texans. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, I, it was just, it was brilliant. That is what Sports Illustrated uh, has to be. That's what, uh, that's what I think every print product has to be right now. It has to be something that, um, you know, even a newspaper, you know, if you're the New York Times, you better be able to write something that the next night at 7.30 is still going to be good when people pick it up. And I think that Sports Illustrated still, you're still working so that when you finish writing it, people aren't going to read it uh, for at least three or four days. So it's, I mean, it's it, it's going against the grain. And I definitely still think there's a place for it. It just, it has to be great stories now. It can't just be what happened in this game on Sunday. You know, it's funny, I tweeted out that you were coming on today, uh, about a half hour before we were, maybe 45 minutes before we were doing this. And I understand it's it's Boston, you know, it's almost my entire Twitter base, but it is still, you know, a year, year and a half later, 90% deflategate, deflategate, in the tank for Goodell, you know, fuck him, mm-hmm. deflategate, deflategate, deflategate. You must still see, I'm guessing, a lot of that, no? I, um, yeah, I see an awful lot of it, and it's 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 almost like, it's almost like there's a Mason-Dixon line um, kind of around New Haven, you know? Right. Uh, it's, it's six states against 44. 44 don't, don't care. Right. They've moved on. Six will never move on. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't blame them because, uh, you know, when you look back at that time uh, in history and you look back at that story, at least in my opinion, um, you know, it's funny. I saw Dan Shaughnessy in Cleveland. I went out for the Red Sox opener. And uh, my brother and I, my brother-in-law and I went out and watched the game. And so we we met, uh, we, we, we had a beer uh, one night after, uh, or yeah, on the night of the rainout, uh, you know, with Shaughnessy. And, and we saw Pete Abraham and Alex Spear, too. But we, you know, Shaughnessy, was, we were talking about this story and about how, I mean, it it just, it, it never dies. It just absolutely never dies. And one of the points I made is that, hey, look, I'm no one to talk about this because I'm one of the people who messed this thing up to begin with. Um, but, you know, to me, I, I would, I, I understand more probable than not 
is the way the NFL legally has a right now, you know, to do what it wants in terms of discipline. And there is some circumstantial evidence in this case that points at wrongdoing. But my whole thing after I read the Wells report and I read it a second time is, you know, it's, it's, it's circumstantial evidence. You could look at that and read the report and say, I believe 62% that the Patriots did something wrong. But for the best quarterback of all time, I'd certainly want it to be a lot closer to be 100% to impugn his character uh, for the next uh, for the next three decades. Do you do you think and, do you think you were told the eleven of twelve by somebody who was trying to screw over the Patriots? Uh, no, no, in no way, in no way. I mean, all I was do- all I was doing in this particular all I was doing in this particular case was in the frenzy of the initial aftermath of the story. Um, You know, there were people inside the league office who were at and outside the league office who also are very familiar with everything that goes on inside who were convinced that, uh, that they had cheated, you know, absolutely convinced. But then, you know, what, what really, I, I think what, and I wrote this, I don't know, whatever, February or early March or some point that the Patriots, uh, Goodell should give the Patriots their, their pick right. back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I may not have had that opinion if the league did exactly what it should have done in this case. And what the league should have done in this case is take the 2015 season to do what it has never done before take measurements of footballs before every game and at halftime of every game and see if it is indeed plausible that an average of 1.2 pounds per square inch would come out of footballs when the temperature is, let's say, in, in the 40s or 50s and it's a very humid day and maybe it's raining, maybe it's wet, whatever. And in my opinion... After the league, uh, I don't know whether they did it or not. It's the all-time tight-lipped thing inside the league, what exactly they did this year. But when they didn't do that this year, I just said, hey, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. Because if they find out that they were indeed wrong, then then all of a sudden the Wells report isn't worth the paper it's printed on. Are you a different reporter than you were last? Have you learned? Have you learn things from that follow that you wouldn't do what now? I learned well, I'll t- I, I don't think I'm a revolutionarily different no I, I know but, but just but you know, I if, have, if you're if, if, if you had the same situation like right now say a similar situation would you maybe handle it differently I've had I've had one situation I can't t- I I ended up not writing something that I still believe to this day is true would you have written that four years ago I may I may have because yeah. the, the person who told me I trust implicitly, and I don't think that this person is wrong. But I kept asking around, and I could not find another person to tell me whether this was true. And I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. And so, look, I, I, uh, in that way, I am a little bit different. I'm probably less trusting of, uh, you know, of, of some people who, and look, 
you know, a lot of people have said, well, did you go back to them and rake them over the coals because, before they screwed you up, before, because they screwed you up? And I said, no, because, I mean, I definitely talked to them about it. Uh, but the reason that I haven't is that I believe they were telling me what they firmly believed at the time was true. And, you know, as it turns out, especially when the, when the true, uh, measure of the footballs came out, it's scientifically very possible that 1.2 pounds per square inch on each football in weather like that could uh, have escaped the footballs in the span of two hours or two hours and 15 minutes. I read this, this story that you had about you a couple of weeks ago when you, when you re-signed. Were you actually considering about uh, following around the political campaign, or was that just sort of, you know, pie in the sky? No, I've always, dream ever, stuff? Since, ever since I read Boys on the Bus, you know, 100 years ago. Timothy, that, Timothy Krause, right? That, yeah, that yeah. would be a tremendously fun thing to do. But realistically, you know, when the 2020 campaign happens, or when it starts, I'll be 61 years old. Am I going to want to do that? I think it's much more realistic that I might cover a baseball season. I've always sort of wanted to do that. I think the highs and lows and the, uh, the just constant thing. The first job I ever had in sports writing was at the Cincinnati Inquirer, where I was one of my jobs was I was backup beat writer on the Cincinnati Reds in the, in the waning days of the big red machine. And I thought those, the four guys who, the two papers in Dayton, two papers in Cincinnati, uh, four of the most recent beat guys were all divorced. And I just said, this is no life for me. And that's one of the reasons why I never really pursued baseball. But I think one day, just for one year, it would be it would be a really fun book to do, sort of like, uh, you know, maybe maybe following around, a re- not, a, not the best team and not the worst team, just the Minnesota Twins or something, something like that, just to see what, you know, and, uh, what, what, a, what an eight-month baseball season is like. So you get the but sense that, I could, I oh, could see myself doing that one day before I, before I leave. Do you get the sense that this is the last contract you'll sign with, with SI? I don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't know. I really enjoy what I'm doing now, but I don't think that I want to do – it at this level um, for very much longer. And it isn't that I don't enjoy it. I really enjoy it. But, you know, when you run something, too, it's sort of a different thing. You're not only doing what you've always done and the same sort of content and volume that you've always done, but now you've got a couple of meetings a week to talk about things you've never in your life worried about once. Hey, who are we hiring? How much are we paying them? What is the budget? Should we go here? Should we go there? Uh, you're kind of a little bit a ruler over people's lives, and I've never had to worry about anybody's lives other than mine and my family. So, is, that, is SI looking at MMQB as a success? Have they been cutting back? Have they been spending more money? Or they no, been... we spent. We we're we're hiring like two and a half more people this year. Uh, we're gonna we're also gonna hire a part time editor. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna try to we're hiring two more people. We're just gonna try to be a little bit more digital conscious, a little bit more video uh, prone, and uh, so I mean I think they view it as a success. But you know we just had our meeting with we had a dinner with 
with advertisers this week. We had a dinner with about 50 or so people in New York, and you just try to convince them, here's why you should spend your money with us. And that's something that, obviously, in my life, I've never had to worry about. But it's, it, I, don't, I don't mind it. I mean, we, we in some way should have to sing for our supper. It was, I'm not saying too easy for too long, but, I mean, you know, people are getting their content in so many different ways these days that it's up to us to make the content palatable and enjoyable. And that's sort of what I spend a lot of time thinking about now. Well, I know you got about 10 more hits to go with the draft coming up. just want to say I appreciate you coming on today. I really appreciate you coming on on Labor Day and letting me and you uh, have a battle. <laughs> we, we, we've, had, we've had a million guys back out, and you're one of the you know biggest football writers in the country. You came on that day, and we went back and forth. And I'm telling you, you know, as you know, not a lot of people would do that. So I definitely appreciate that and you coming on today. No problem, Kirk. Wish you all the best. All right, you too, Peter. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. If you want more great podcasts, it's pretty easy. You go and go to the WEI mobile app. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can look up Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. You can find the ones with Sean McDonough, Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy, David Portnoy. There'll be more. And what you can do when you like them, you write a review. That'll help us out a lot. You give us a rating. We can help you. You can help us. Get that done. Do it right now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.